0: Tonight, I want us to entertain a question, and it's simply this. What if Jesus really meant what he said? Have you ever heard people say things, and you know good and well they don't mean what they say? Go to Walmart sometime and watch the child throw in a fit, and listen to the mother or the father say, Now, if you don't stop that, we're going to take you home. I want to say, No, you're not. You're not going to take them home. That's just, you're just making words, making noise, because they, they don't follow through. They think they can manipulate their children with things, certain threats, and those threats are as empty as anything. And we get used to that in life. And the danger of that is that not everybody operates that way. There are some people who keep their word, and they mean what they say. And what if Jesus really meant what he said? I want us to look at a few passages tonight that I think sometimes cause more than a few people to question whether or not Jesus really means what he says. This is not clicking again. I'll hit this button on the left. All right. <clears throat> there are uh, more than a few few people that instead of just taking Jesus at his word, one of the things that they want to do is just simply say, well, you know, God is gracious. And the reason I had uh, wanted Clint to read the passage that he read from Matthew chapter 16 uh, verses 21 through 23, and if you want to turn back there and look at that again, there's an important statement that is made in that passage. In, in the passage, you remember Jesus is with his disciples and um, Peter, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and there, you know, I'm going to be taken and so forth. And it's in this context that uh, Jesus says, or well, he says, I'm going to be killed. Verse 21, raised again third day, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter gets Jesus aside and rebukes him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. Now, the expression, far be it from you, is a Hebraism. What it literally means is, God be gracious to you. Those are the words that are employed in that, in that expression that's translated in our English Bibles Far be it from you, Lord. But what Peter says is, God be gracious to you. And here's what Peter's trying to say Jesus said, This is the way it's going to be. And Peter counters the words of Jesus by saying, Ah, oh, no, 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 no. God will be gracious to you. You don't have to go to the cross, you don't have to die. God will be gracious. There's another way. And notice the response that Jesus makes to Peter when he says that. He says, get behind me, Satan. The suggestion that Jesus doesn't have to keep his word, and that God will be gracious in place of doing what he said, is met with, get behind me, Satan. But that's the very thing that people appeal to today to try to get around the words of Jesus. They say God's a gracious God. God loves us. God is gracious. He's merciful. And um, instead of taking Jesus right at His word, let's just count on the graciousness of God. But what if Jesus meant what He said? And what if those words of Jesus are words that can't be dismissed because we want something else to take place? Well, that's what I want us to look at this evening. So if you have your Bible, let's begin with Mark 16. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15 beginning, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved and he who believes... does not believe, shall be condemned. In that passage, Jesus was very clear. There are many people today that I think will want to argue with that statement. I think it's a clear statement. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If I were to ask you who's going to be saved, would it be a safe thing to say he who believes and is baptized shall be saved? that's what Jesus said. And yet how many people have come along and said, I don't know that that's what Jesus meant. I don't know if Jesus meant that you had to be baptized. Oh, they're convinced on the belief part. They're convinced that we have to do part of what Jesus said in order to be saved. But the latter part of it, I'm not so convinced about. And there are a lot of reasons why they would conclude thus. Um, you know, well, what if you don't find water before you die? What if this happens? What if that happens? We, we have all kind of circumstances that can uh, maybe compel us or rend our heart and so forth. But, you know, every one of those circumstances can be backed up to the point of faith. Well, what if a person was ready to believe and they died? What if a person couldn't uh, find a Bible, but they had an open heart and so they didn't know about Jesus? What if you know, we can what if all day long? Bottom line is, what did Jesus say? And did Jesus really mean what he said? Who is it that will be saved? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If this were an issue other than salvation, if if it were an issue that involved money, if I preached tonight and said, "Listen, I've got a wallet full of," $1,000 bills. Do they make one? Th- I guess they do. I, I've never seen one. Um, but if I had $1,000 bills and I said, listen, when I get done preaching tonight, he who hears me preach and believes, he who believes and is baptized will get one of those crisp $1,000 bills. Would anyone... Say after the sermon is over, listen, I believe what you said tonight, and I want $1,000. Well, were you baptized? No, but I don't have to be baptized. I I believe what you said, and and I want my $1,000. Nobody would do that. If we're talking about money in our wallets, we understand exactly. I'm not going to give you the money unless you believe and are baptized. And those that would expect the money would be believing and baptized. But when it deals, when we come to our soul salvation, we we just kind of throw that out the window and we say, I don't know if Jesus really meant what he said. Um, There may be another way to look at it. But again, the question, what if Jesus really meant what he said? In John 3, verse 3 through 5, I believe Jesus did mean what he said. Because not only does he say it here in Mark 16 and verse 16, but in John 3, in verse 3, Jesus makes it very clear that if you are desirous to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be, you have, you must be born again. And he explains what being born again is, what that process is, and he goes on in verse 5 and says, except a man, except, this is the except, unless a man is born of water and the spirits, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe Jesus meant what he said. And so I need to obey those commandments that Jesus gave and not try to reason them away or excuse ourselves or appeal to God's mercy to come up with some other plan. Let's listen to what Jesus said. Let's look at another passage Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he said, And many will say unto me in that last day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? And Jesus will respond by saying, Depart from me. I never knew you, you who work lawlessness. There is a pretty prevalent view in the religious world today that says sincerity is enough. Listen, just give your heart to Jesus. Just, just be, be right in your heart, and it doesn't matter what you do. Oh, I mean, we ought to do right, but if you don't, and if you get it wrong, everything's going to be okay anyway, because it's sincerity that matters. But what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? This, this passage scares me, because this is a passage that is addressed not to the world out there, not to unbelievers, but it's addressed to believers in Jesus. And he says, not every one of you who call on me and say, you're my Lord, that's what I do. I'm one who calls Jesus my Lord. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he says, we must do the will of the Father who is in heaven. And he goes on and contemplates people who will stand at the day of judgment and stand before Jesus and say, Lord, have we not done many, many many works in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done miracles in your name? I've lived for you. I've worked for you. Only to hear Jesus say, depart from me. I never knew you. How can Jesus turn people away who spent their life calling him Lord and doing what they thought he wanted Done. Apparently, sincerity isn't enough. Apparently, God thinks that obedience really matters. In Acts chapter 23, and verse 1, we read about the Apostle Paul, and he talks about the days in which he was Saul of Tarsus and he was persecuting the church, and he said, But I did all that in good conscience. I really thought I was doing right, but he was dead wrong. And he needed to repent and change. And what if he hadn't repented? What if he hadn't changed, even though he was sincere? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Jesus asked, and do not the things that I tell you? Jesus is not your Lord unless you do what he says. You're not obedient unless you listen and obey. And so when it comes to this, well, what about this? Sincerity, is it enough? I mean, I just, just the, the feeling and the, the, the good vibes that I send toward God, that, that's not sufficient. What if Jesus really meant what He said? That not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's look at another passage. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 through 35, I won't read the section, but the context, Peter has said, uh, how many times must we forgive our brothers and who sin against us? And Peter offers, how about seven times? And Jesus says, well, you came just a little short. How about 70 times seven? And then uses the illustration of a man who had an enormous debt, millions of dollars worth of debt, and was forgiven that debt. And then that same man who has just been forgiven that great debt went out and found a man who owed him just a little bit of money and he wouldn't forgive him his debts. Can you imagine? How can you not forgive others when you have been forgiven so much? And because of that, the Bible says that the master of all revoked that man's forgiveness until he paid it all, which he wasn't able to do in the first place. But here's the point. Forgiveness of others is not optional. Listen, you can't go through life and hate people. You can't go through life and have hard feelings toward another person and and let that affect you. You can't go through life and harbor and, and feed ill will toward another person. If that's your Christianity its going to come up short. We've got to get beyond that. We've, and it's work. I know it's work. If you have an enemy, if you have someone that you struggle with, uh, you know, it's work to forgive. But if I want to go to heaven, if Jesus really meant what He said, then I need to look at the very end of that chapter in Matthew chapter 18 and see where Jesus said, If we don't forgive from the hearts, then the same fate will befall us as the man who was unwilling to forgive his neighbor. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4 says, listen, if a person comes to you and asks forgiveness seven times in a day, you forgive them. That's what we're to do. That's part of being a follower of Jesus. In Ephesians 4 and verse 31, the Bible says that we're not to have malice and Hatred and ill will and evil speaking and wranglings toward another person. We're to give those things up and to be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. What if Jesus really meant what he said? You're not going to go to heaven unless you forgive people. You're not going to be saved if you hold a grudge. You've got to get beyond that. It's a good question. Another statement that is made in John chapter 8 and verse 24. Turn in your Bible to John 8 verse 24. Jesus said in John 8 verse 24, Therefore I say unto you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And then again in verse 14, chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says again... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We live in a day of religious pluralism. We believe, our society believes, that you don't really have to be a Christian, you don't have to see things all funneling through Jesus. There are many ways to the Father. I wish it were so, because that would, in some respects, in the the respect that, you know, boy, that would make it so much easier for so many people, but that's not the way it is. If Jesus meant what he said, then he is the only way to the Father. If he meant what he said, we will die in our sins unless we believe that he is the Son of God. That's troubling to some people because some people just have a hard time believing that God could be that exclusive. It's reiterated in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, where it says that there is salvation. There is no salvation in any other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's that the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow. It's the only name in which we can find salvation the only authority by which one can approach the throne of heaven and and hope to have a hearing. And those who say, well, that's just too narrow, I don't serve a God like that. I, I, I serve a God that's more gracious than that. Well, listen, at the root of who God is, there is a necessity for the exclusivity of Christianity If there were other ways to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, I would have, in my understanding, I would have a problem with the character of God. If I took my son up here, and in order for people to live some way, I had to put my son to death, that would be a terrible decision, but that's the decision God made. But if there was another way for everyone to live I could do it by putting my son to death or I could do it in some other fashion. What kind of a man would I be if I went ahead and put my son to death? If there was another way that worked. Do you know what we're saying when we say that Jesus left heaven and died on the cross, but He didn't have to because there are other ways to God except through Jesus Christ? What does that make of God? What, what does that do to His character? When Jesus in the garden with vehement cries calls out to God and says, let this cup pass from Me. You mean to tell me it was within the power of God to let it pass? And He wouldn't? And He made His Son go through that? And it wasn't necessary? There was some other way? I have a problem with the righteousness of that kind of a God? The cross of Jesus Christ proclaims the exclusivity of Christianity. It can be no other way and be a right and holy and just God. But again, that's far from what many people say. What if Jesus really meant what he said? You're not going to go to heaven unless you go through me. And then finally, let's look at one other passage. Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 through 38, where Jesus says, you know, if you're going to be My disciple, you're going to have to deny your father and mother. You're going to have to love them less than you love Me. Your your enemies will be those of your own house. You're going to have to pick up a cross, deny yourself, and follow Me daily. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of service. It's a life that calls Jesus to the center of your relationship, more so than even your wife or your children or your mom and dad. Jesus has to come first. What if he really meant that? You know, we sing songs, seek ye first the kingdom of God uh, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We know what the Bible says, seek God first, Matthew 6 and verse 33. Colossians 1 and verse 18. He's the head of the body of the church. He has preeminence that is given to him. He he comes first. Do I really have to put him first? Can my job, can my family come ahead of him? Can the decisions that I make, um, can I ever put them in the back seat instead of the front. People do make decisions. Listen, I know there are many reasons why some people, we had 400 and some here this morning. I know there are many reasons why we don't have 400 here tonight, but I also know, well, I don't know, but I would take a guess that among those reasons are... In the minds of some people, Jesus doesn't come first in the decisions they make. Can we get by with doing less than that? Does Jesus really have to come first? Or what if Jesus really meant what he said? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 that mixed loyalties, they don't work. If a man has two masters, he'll love the one, and hate the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and Mammon. You have to make a decision, and there are, you, you, you can't split that decision and that loyalty. You can't be on today off tomorrow and and split the week up. It, it has to be all for him or it's nothing for him. That's what Jesus said now did he mean what he said? And that brings us to the close of the lesson. And I just want to, again, call us and bring to our attention the fact that Jesus has said a lot of things. It's not so much, I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's not so much the things that I don't understand in the Bible that really bother me, it's the things that I do understand. Those are the things that really bother me. And we may find ourselves in that situation. There are some tough things in the Bible. There are some hard to understand things. Peter said that uh, of the writings of Paul. He said there are some things that Paul wrote that are difficult to understand. But there are so many things that are plain, straightforward, easy to understand, difficult to put into practice. But I want us to challenge ourselves and ask ourselves again this question and be reminded, Jesus isn't like us. We often hedge on our word. We often say things we don't mean and we go back on. The words of Jesus are calculated. They're precise. And if Jesus said something, did he really mean it? Absolutely. Jesus meant what he said. And if he meant what he said, where do we stand tonight? Would some of the things that I talked about tonight touch our lives and call for maybe reevaluation and a little reprioritizing in our life? I I just want to remind you tonight that if Jesus really meant what he said, where would we be? I'm telling you tonight that he does mean what He said. And so we need to change our lives and be in harmony with His will. Because, well, John 12 and verse 48 says this, You can reject me and my words, but the same shall judge you in the last day. Those words that we can argue about and dismiss and, and appeal to God's mercy and grace as opposed to obedience, we can do all that. But at the end of the day, Jesus said... These words will be what judges you. So let's be right. Let's obey. Let's submit our will to His. Let's pick up a cross, deny ourselves, and be a disciple and follow Him. It'll be difficult. The road will sometimes be overwhelming. Sometimes it'll seem like you just can't go on. But the rewards... And this life, listen, it's going to be over so quickly. Uh, you know, how much longer do we have here? If you took the average age of all of us here tonight, we don't have a great deal of time left. And But whatever that amount is, it's less than 100 years. What's 100 years in comparison to eternity? Buckle up, tighten your belt Serve Him, grit your teeth, whatever it is that it takes, but obey Him. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God and you need to obey Him, listen, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Have you done that? Did He mean what He said? If He said it, He meant it. And if you haven't done it, why don't you do that tonight? If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you want to make your life right and you want to get back to taking Jesus at his word. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.